My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script. I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it. I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot. I even got a famous classic case of writer's block. Get it out of my head. Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me today is Tony Gapistioni. Hello. Yay. Yay. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, bella. <laughs> I was, we were going back and forth about how to say Tony's name. The Americanized version is what? Tony, what? So- Tony Gappa Stone, so boring. Okay, but but if you want to really like mix it up, it's Gapastione, right? That's right, like a spicy meat the ball, like a pastione. Yeah. <laughs> How Italian are you, Tony? Well, believe it or not, I'm only fifty percent, but that fifty percent takes over your whole life. My I get dad it. always takes it, you know. I get it. I get it. You know, being only part Greek myself, you know. Um, but I mean, look at me. So. Yeah. <laughs> My mom always used to say, like, you're more than just Italian. I'm like, I know, but this is how I identify. What do you want from <laughs> That's right. And as, as he's saying that, he's using his hands a lot. Tony is a filmmaker, actor, director, producer, screenwriter, podcaster, and CEO of the nonprofit film organization Brave Maker. What is Brave Maker? Well, let me tell you. Brave Maker seeks to champion justice, diversity, and inclusion through film. It fiscally sponsors filmmakers. It hosts film fests, uh, does podcasts, and helps filmmakers make. Does that sound right? Yes, I love that. You got it. You're a spokesperson. Perfect. (laughs) I like that you help filmmakers make. (laughs) I'm just going to work backwards for a second. You just made something that I found out came out of a group of writers you met in my last class. Is that right? It is totally a cool on-the-page story, Pilar. So a (laughs) bunch of us were in your class, and, you know, you're encouraging people to connect with each other, and you say, hey, do you want to share emails? And a few of us said, hey, let's start a writing group. And you have this great PDF, right, for, for screenwriters who want to do a writing room or writers group, and we took it. So we have four of us. It's Ahimson and Rommel and Deanna, and we meet every Friday, and it's really inspiring. We've been doing it for, I think we're going on our third month now. Oh, yay! Yeah, and out of that group, uh, so I wrote this short film just during the pandemic, during quarantine for fun, and uh, we workshopped it in the group. And then Deanna, shout out to Deanna, she executive produced it. <laughs> I can I could see that. If you want something done, I could see Deanna doing it for sure. That, so we owe on awesome. the page. Yeah. Is for sure. Himson did Himson stunt coordinate it? Because he's he's well, he's an action director, stunt coordinator. He, he is great. He gave some great uh, feedback on some of the action in the film. And so it was fun. Like the, the week before we were filming it, we had our workshop and I rewrote some of the stuff based on their feedback. But I said someday I definitely not only want him stunting, but I want him acting in something I'm doing. So sure. really cool. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I saw a little bit of the log line for this. Can you tell everybody what that short film is about? Because it just cracked me up looking at that. 
Okay, it's called Killer Couch. Okay, <laughs> and the logline is when a woman finds a free couch on the side of the road after Halloween, it takes out all of the toxic people in her life. Oh, sweet. Yes, what a perfect. Good idea and a good logline too. I love it. Thank you. I got inspired because we were, we gave a free couch away on the curb one day and mm-hmm. my wife and kids and I watched a person literally struggle with it for about 20 minutes to stuff it in their compact car. And I thought, what if the, the couch kills this person on our curb? We're going to have to deal with it. And then, <laughs> and then the killer couch idea was born. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Cause you think about it, right? Like, especially in LA, if you're passing places and there's just furniture on, on the street. Like I remember that's how I furnished my whole apartment when I first came out here. Um, yeah. The, all those, that furniture has a history. Yeah. And who's a story. to say it likes you? It might that's not like right. you. <laughs> that's right. In this case, it liked the woman who found it, but it didn't like everybody else in her life. <laughs> I like that. I, like if it would be as easy as, hey, why don't you sit over here? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I don't know when this is coming out, but Google Killer Couch on YouTube and you'll find it. Excellent. Excellent. I like that you are one of the filmmakers making. Um, tell everybody a little bit about Brave Maker. It, it has... Mm-hmm quite the goal. So, mm-hmm. so once you let everybody know about it. Yeah. I mean, Brave Maker started early 2018, Pilar, and I was and have been an actor for some time. I'm headquartered in San Francisco. So in the Bay Area, I've had a great, you know, uh, career of just doing a lot of print stuff and commercial, industrial. Uh, but then, you know, you hit these dry spots and you have to figure out what do you do, right? You could sit around and kind of twiddle your thumbs, hoping someone will give you a gig. Uh, or you could start writing and directing and producing your own stuff. So that's really what I started to do. And, um, you know, I've been dabbling in pitching and things in L.A. for quite some time. But it's hard, as everybody knows who's listening. It's hard to get your work out there and into the world. Uh, and I, you know, I'm a white guy and it's hard for me. Right. And I hear so many stories of communities of color that are going, hey, you know, or, or women or the LGBTQ community, how even more exponentially difficult it is to get your story to be seen, to be elevated into this space. So Brave Maker came because of two things I wanted to create, I wanted to make, but I also recognized I needed to learn and listen and partner with other people, uh, especially in this conversation on racial justice. I recognized I had a lot of blind spots and, and to be transparent, I think my ignorance or even my silence was I was complicit in some of this injustice. So what do I love to do? I love to tell stories and make films. So let's kind of combine those two passions together and see if we could do some good in the world and help people tell their stories. Now you actually turned this into a film festival at a certain point. Yeah. I would imagine right now it's, it's all online, but if you only started in 2018, how did it go with creating a film festival and having people (laughs) submit stuff? How much, how many submissions did you get? Okay, so everyone says, do we, does the world really need another film festival? Like, why do we need another film fest? And we wrestled with that question. We were all a bunch of uh, volunteers. It's not like we're living high in the hog, you know, uh, in this space as a nonprofit. But we, we said, no, uh, we were all filmmakers recognizing we wanted places to show our work. We wanted to talk about our work. We wanted to have film screenings. That's why we make these these films is we want to talk about them. We want to impact people. And so we said, yeah, the world needs another film fest. So in 2018, we started and we, we thought it was just going to be once a year, like every other film festival, but we got 130 submissions our first year. And we're like, okay, this is overwhelming. We can really only program 
30 of them in a weekend. Mm -hmm. So what we started to do is we started to select some of those films and we did monthly film screenings. So the Brave Maker Film Fest sort of turned into a monthly event in our, we are headquartered in Redwood City, California, kind of near Stanford. And it was cool. Back when we could meet in theaters, we would, you know, rent out a century theater and pack a couple hundred people in there. And we sometimes would fly filmmakers in from wherever they were. And it was just a really, really fun time that began like every month drawing more people, built our audience. And then we started, you know, too, I got to give a shout out to like Sundance and the other film festivals in the world that inspired me so much. I wanted to help launch people to make their work. So we started fiscally sponsoring people so that they could raise money for their films underneath our nonprofit. And so we're continuing to do that to this day. And since March, we've been doing uh, not only monthly events, but weekly events. We're doing weekly conversations, hosting, you know, YouTube live shows and um, offering to all of our patrons and subscribers the ability to watch films for free. That's cool. So you patrons and subscribers. So so they pay a small amount of money so they can watch lots of films. And then that money goes into fiscally sponsoring more films. Is that the deal? Yes. Well, we anybody could be a subscriber. So if you go to BraveMaker.com, but BraveMaker.com, you could just sign up for the list and it's free and you get access to all that. But then some people do choose to give, which is great. So there are individual donors that help support this work. And then we're just applying for a lot of grants. And we've been we've got about 10 or 12 grants in the past two years that have helped us to do this work in corporate sponsors. And now we are, like you said, you know, Killer Couch is one of them, but we're also creating our own original work. We're doing documentaries on racial justice. Uh, we just got a fund grant from the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. I know that social media platform that shall not be named uh, is dicey for a lot of us. Uh, and that, that name is dicey, but they are headquartered in our city and they are funding this this youth-centric documentary about middle school, high school, and college students telling their stories about how to be an anti-racist. And so it's just powerful. Like we're, we're trying to create this empire, really, is what we're trying to do that really is about storytelling and impacting culture. Now, I would imagine when you start doing a, a film festival with short films mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you become a bit of an expert on short films in terms of what grabs the attention of you as a judge, um, what appeals to an audience watching, how long these things should be, how short they should be. Um, what have you learned, you know, as a filmmaker and writer yourself in evaluating these, this short film content? What works and what doesn't work? It's really been a good learning experience. I did not go to film school, so I've been all just learning on set and self-taught. And, you know, as you, you know, in your classes, I've taken your classes and you've also consulted me on my, on my scripts. It's, it's like learning by doing. So, you know, if you want to be a screenwriter, you got to read scripts, right? If you want to be a filmmaker, everybody watches movies, but watching it from the standpoint of when did I really feel like I was, I was engaged and when did I feel like I kind of sat back and started checking my phone, right? And so, from all this experience, we have about 12 people as well who are our jurors, who watch all of our films. We make sure every one of our films is watched at least five or six times uh, before we move it forward. We have this rating system. Um, but we're particularly interested in films that are reflective of the world, that are reflective behind the camera, in front of the camera. Like we want to empower women, the LGBTQ community, the communities of color. We're looking for, do we have a cast that looks like the world uh, that is representative of diversity? Uh, that's you know something that we would say, yes, this is representative of what it looks like to be a human being in our day and time. And um, 
the yeah the things that I'm learning from watching films have also gone helped me go. I want to make films. Uh, I want to make short films. I'm making a ton of short films while I'm waiting to get my features out in the world. But then we also have started this uh, short film class every month because now that you're seeing so many short films, we're going, yeah, we could help you. We could probably help you uh, tighten up your film a little bit. We could help you develop your characters, make them more well-rounded. We can also, like, I know you've been talking about the uh, the bigotry pass, right? Mm-hmm. Like looking at our work and going, are these characters stereotypes? Are these characters perpetuating this systemic racism that we know we need to dismantle? So yeah, watching the films has helped us become better filmmakers. You know, it's interesting that you started with tightening things up right, right away, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, are you finding with short films that don't work for you that they drag with the setup? Very much so. If you only have a short film that's five minutes or 10 minutes, we don't need a lot of periphery stuff, right? I mean, we joke about this too. Like even in feature films, how many times do you need to have someone walk into a room or walk into an office building and check the badge, you know, say hello to the, to the, the receptionist, you know, wait, like you don't need all this extra stuff, right? It's that typical, like get in late, leave early. And in a short film, you need to get in even later and leave even earlier. Sure. If you need to leave it all, because I would imagine, yeah. there you go. Um, have you seen a lot of shorts? You know, I would look, we've, people have limited budgets when they're doing this. Have you yep. seen a lot of shorts in one location? And if you have, how best have you seen it taken advantage of when it only stays in one place? Well, when you have the one location shorts, you get a lot of just talking, right? Two mm. people talking back and forth, and that can be challenging. I think there's, there is a, gr- a great space to have great witty dialogue and the interesting characters that are talking. But if they're just sitting there talking, I'm kind of like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. But if they're talking and, you know, like Sid Field talks about, I think there's a bomb under the table or one person is trying to get out because they have IBS issues or whatever it is, like raise the stakes in there. Get me excited to go, how is this person going to end this conversation? Because that's really what they want to do. They want to get the H out of this conversation. They don't want to be in the conversation. And so I think just getting, you got to get creative because one location films, especially even in feature films, I'm hearing people are saying, limit your locations for COVID, right? If you want to be in production, you got to have minimal, minimal spaces to keep your actors safe. So one location inside, outside, around different rooms, like that's what we have to be thinking about even in the feature realm too. But it's interesting that you said, yes, even with limited location, you're heightening the conflict. So if you are limiting the locations, heighten the conflict so that it becomes that tight space becomes part of the story. I've got to get out of here and I'm stuck here, right? IBS, huh? Irritable bowel (laughs) syndrome. I'm like, wow, what's an IBS? I'm like, is it a bomb? Like, no, it's irritable bowel syndrome. I'm pretty sure that's what Tony means. I've got a character with IBS, so that's fresh (laughs) on my mind. (laughs) I don't personally, nothing against people who have IBS. (laughs) You just made it sound so important. I'm like, yes. Yes, I do you have the IBS? Yes, I have the IBS. Yes. Um, So, um, you know, another thing that I, I... I always like with short films is the surprise at the end. So we talked about tightening up the beginning, but I'm always like, and how are you going to turn this? So I have one expectation and then you flip the script at yeah. the end. Um, are you fans of that? Do you th- have you seen people make that work or are there other, other structures that you also like with 
short films. I'll tag on to that because I was just talking with one of our filmmakers today who's in the script process and he's got a great short film. And I guess in some way in short films, especially there is a lot of expectation around the twist. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like short films have kind of been known for like, it's got to be short, but then something's going to happen at the end to flip it up. Uh, and he's got a great one, but in his setup and stuff, you know, again, some of that periphery stuff, he's got people that were talking and he's name dropping or he's doing some other information. And I said, as a viewer in a short film, I'm grabbing on all this information going, okay, is that going to be the twist? Is that going to be the Easter egg? And so I was telling him like single focus in this short film because you already have a great twist. You don't need to layer it even more with all these other people. Anytime you name a person, someone's going to say to themselves, oh, I got to remember Josh, who they were talking about on the phone. We don't need that, right? Because you already have a great story in a short amount of time. So just get there and let that twist, let that story element land on its own. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, What, and, and, yeah, and when when you're doing that, when you're talking about Josh, it makes the audience feel like they missed something or that you're going to cut away to Josh. I'm so glad that you gave that advice. <laughs> oh my God, oh my God. So when when you know advising people on a technical level who want to make a short, mm-hmm. since you are helping people make them now and advising them and mm-hmm. teaching classes on this now, um, what do people need? What what kind of equipment do you think it's necessary that they need? Everything mm-hmm. else could be extraneous. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, people keep saying this. You can make films on your, your smartphone, on your iPhone, which is very, very true. Um, but you need to make sure you have good sound recording equipment. All right. And I would say just get somebody who has some understanding of cinematography, even if they are filming on their their camera, you need some good lenses. You could play around with, you know, good lighting. Um, but if you were going to say like, okay, my short film has two actors, get somebody who's, you know, maybe has a DSLR or, you know, rent a camera for a day, a good camera. Uh, we shot it in a Sony a seven and I'm not even a, a, a gearhead at all, but I know like my friend has this camera and it looks really good. We had a sound recorder. Uh, we didn't do any hair and makeup because, People shouldn't be touching each other's faces during this time anyway. Uh, and that's really all we had for Killer Couch. I did all the set design. You know, I had uh, everyone working in multiple roles. You know, the actors brought their own wardrobe and that was it. So, you know, a cinematographer, uh, a sound recorder. And then, you know, if you're writing and directing, you're good to go besides the cast. Like that can really be a great short film. And if you're trying to write a short film or you have one right now, one of my like simplest things when you outside of the locations and trying to minimize your locations is can you, can you minimize the cast? Like the guy that I was talking with today, he had three people in this really short film. And I said, I think you could just combine two of these characters and then you have they have the actors have more meat to, to act, more things to do. It's more exciting, and you have to pay people less. You know, I mean, I, I always say pay people at least something. Sure, right? I was able to pay everybody a small fee, which you know, money always helps. But if not, just feed them good and treat them good because everybody's itching to do something right now and make something. That's what's a, a cool part of the experience. And the less characters there are, the more food there is. Yay! Woo-hoo. <laughs> it's interesting that you're you're you know bringing COVID up so much in terms of production. So you're starting to sort of become a, an expert on this right now. Um, So limited locations, no hair and makeup, 
yep. uh, limit the cast. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do for those blocking scenes where people are just right in each other's faces? Or is yeah. there a way to write it so that they are screaming across the room like the shot is wider? Yeah, there's definitely, you know, cheats that you can do, right? And how you film it, how you frame it up. Uh, in Killer Couch, we had a scene where uh, the woman is confronting one of her toxic people, uh, the landlord, right? And she she's written in the script to shush him. And I was like, she's going to take her finger and put it in his face. I was like, oh, people are going to freak out about that. But I, I asked all, I asked the actors, like, how do you feel about this? Like touching another person in this space. Uh, everybody got tested before okay. we took, we took, you know, temperatures beforehand. And I did have our um, assistant director again, doing multiple duties as well as one of our producers, making sure like we're wiping down things and hand sanitizing. And I said, don't take it personal to our cast and crew, but we're going to on a regular basis, just come around and spray your hands and we're going to wipe things down. Like, if not every hour, um, every half hour, just so that everybody feels safe. And I just said, hey, anytime you don't feel comfortable doing what I'm directing you to do, because I was directing, then we'll rearrange. We'll figure it out. We'll solve the problem. But don't ever do anything that is not in your safe zone. I wonder if like the on-screen kiss is going to be completely reinvented. Like if we're just suddenly going to find other things so sexy, you know, like like the look yes exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. which could be kind of cool to to yeah. replace the conventional and then they kiss yeah. with something else i'm hearing stand-ins are like significant others in, on some sets because i know some of the soap operas have gone back to production and i have a friend uh, who's on bold and the beautiful so i have heard they've been bringing in spouses for those things and and you know turning the actor or filming from behind the, the significant others so I don't know. They're going to have to get creative. Oh, what a good idea. Like Uh you're going to be forced to kiss your wife. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay. I'm going to switch focus for a second back to the themes of Brave Maker and the fact that that you've got, you know, this, uh, this philosophy behind your work. How do you, how do you, um, how do you keep from feeling preachy mm-hmm. in some like you're looking for shorts that are changing the world right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um how do you change the world and stay entertaining i think this is yeah. an ongoing discussion you know change the world but don't lecture to the world how are you seeing <laughs> some people more successful at it than others yeah i think there's, you know, so much of that is going to be subjective too, right? Because even in every evaluation process, or whether you're pitching stuff or submitting to festivals or contests, somebody out there is going to have a feeling about your work. And that you just can't get around that, right? Sure. But I think we have to hold space for that. Like, how did you feel when you watched it? Did it feel heavy handed or on the nose? And we've definitely seen some things where you're like, uh, that just doesn't like, I don't like it. It doesn't feel good to watch it. Not because I feel bad about myself from the messaging, but it didn't feel, here's the word, like authentic. Mm -hmm. It felt a little too over the top. It wasn't grounded. And then there's other things that you go, wow, like this, um, this was an alien film. Uh, It was about aliens, but what was underneath the surface was human rights, civil rights, 
in an alien sci-fi short. Like, ah, that's something unexpected. And so we want to program something like that. And we want to pair it. Obviously, short films aren't just seen by themselves. They're usually paired with other films. And so you look at a program block and go, we have an hour and a half or two hours. How can we pair those short films with other things that are going to really magnify this conversation in different ways? So that's part of the thing. Obviously, it's it's subjective. You can't get around that. But we we do. We sit around. I'm mean, sitting in my, my office right now. There's a big round table when we were meeting uh, in person. And we just kind of round robin it. Like, how did you feel about this? But we also have a rating system, too. Like, how was the sound and quality? How was the acting? Did it elicit a sense of beauty and wonder? Did it have something significant to say? Was the cast diverse? So we have all these kind of, you know, rating systems and elements that we're looking for when we're programming those films. What is the shortest short uh, that you've that you've put in one of your festivals? Honestly, one minute. We wow. had a one a one minute short. Yeah, I remember it. It was a it was about a mosquito and it was by a student. So, you know, sometimes that's all you need is really short things that get you get you thinking and they tell a story in one minute. And what is the longest that you would tell somebody like you know, remember I read I read shorts and yeah. I get twenty minute shorts all the time and I'm always lecturing people I'm like that's not a short. That's <laughs> that's the centerpiece of a film festival. And that's yeah. going to go to a fancy director. So yeah. I usually tell people eh, around 12 minutes. What do you think? 10 minutes, I think, is a great, great, like me, because you could, if, you, if we have like six, eight short films at 10 minutes each, beautiful. Yeah. But we're always going to make some concessions for a really great 15 or 20 minute. And we get half hour ones. Those are really hard. Sure. Um, I don't think we have programmed a half hour short film. Uh, sometimes we'll even do a, a short film or two before a feature film. So if it's like a really great five minute short film. You could be programmed before a feature film. And that's a really great um, you know, connection to have because then you're getting even a bigger audience because sometimes the feature films garner a lot of eye- eyeballs on them. So yeah, now, 10 minutes. Now you're making a, a feature film. Mm-hmm. I noticed, I, I, I didn't see it in your bio materials, but I happened to to personally know about this feature film because I just read this feature film, uh-huh, uh-huh. but you're making your, you wrote it to make it right. Are you raising yeah. funds for it right now? Yeah. So that's, I love that you brought that up. Thank you. Because when I sent the prep email, I wasn't, we weren't able to talk about it yet, but now uh, as of tomorrow, so before, I'm sure by the time this podcast comes out, we're using WeFunder to raise funds. And if you're not familiar with WeFunder, it's basically like an equity platform, like a crowd sourcing platform to raise um, investors, raise money from investors, not just like Kickstarter or Indiegogo where you're asking for donations. So, uh, yeah, so I have two films. This one in particular is called 33 Days. You can check it out at 33daysfilm.com. And yeah, we're really excited. We've been working on this for four, four years and we finally got, you know, the LLC up and running and our producing team has submitted, you know, on this platform called WeFunder. There's only been like about 15 films to this date. Uh, I think that have been funded through there. One of them is by a really well-known uh, filmmaker and friend. I'm glad to call him Jim Cummings. So shout out to Jim Cummings, who's used that platform to do, I think, three of his feature films so far. So filmmakers, if you don't know WeFunder, this is not a paid endorsement whatsoever. <laughs> you can check it out. Because, uh, yeah, I think as a screenwriter, I'm trying to go, I can't just wait around for somebody else to give me the money to do this. I have got to make this happen. I've got to see this work and this story come to life. And I'm sorry if I brought it up and it was actually in an email, like, no, I can't talk about it. And then I just talked no. about it, but now you can't talk about it. So that's good. That's Not good. at all. Not at all. No, it was great. It was great. 
<laughs> so, so uh, this whole thing about like, um, you're just going to do it. You're just going to make mm-hmm. things. You're, you know, not going to wait around, not going to wait around. Yeah. And I keep hearing that. Um, now you were an actor. You are an mm-hmm. actor. At mm-hmm. what point did you just have this epiphany of not going to wait around? What, what, and what was it that sparked that? So I made my first short film in 2014 you know, as a writer director. So it was about 2012 when I was, when I was just kind of hitting, you know, like my rock bottom as an actor, kind of feeling really discouraged. Um, I had been married at that point for about um, six years and just feeling like I'm juggling multiple hat, you know, multiple jobs. I'm trying really hard to make this happen as every creative person is doing it. And I just found myself complaining, like it's not happening for me. Um, and it's still, it's, it's just really hard to make, make it in this industry. It, it is really hard. It's not something you just throw yourself into kind of casually. So I came to that, like come to Jesus moment where <laughs> am I going to keep doing this? Do I keep like, you know, going in on all these editions? Even today I, I still act. I got, I'm on check avail for this, commercial for, you know, you're you're on check avail for six days. So put six days of your life on hold. You might get it. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stay at home dad while the kids are distance learning. My wife's working outside of the home and it's just, it's so hard. It's so hard to be an actor in this space. And so in 2012, I was like, I got to start taking control. I got to start being the, the commander of this ship and writing things for myself. So I started writing stuff for myself and then found I, I liked actually writing and directing other people because directing yourself is kind of hard sometimes. So yeah, it's just been really an enjoyable um, journey of recognizing the story in me. I, I like to tell stories and I want to write those stories and not just wait around for someone to write me into them. How old are your kids? Oh, nine, eleven, and thirteen. Do you ever put them in anything? I put them in many things. <laughs> Very nepotistic. <laughs> are they? Are they like? Are they into it? or Are they over it? I have one who's into it, and I have two who are like, "Dad, no more, please." <laughs> do you ever? Do they have any affinity for filmmaking? I always joke because I don't want to pressure them, but I go, I see like my youngest definitely has director vibes. (laughs) She likes to be in control and direct. My middle is very artistic and creative, like writer vibes. So she is like really into the writing and storytelling. In fact, she actually designs some stuff for me for Braymaker sometimes. And then my oldest is the actor. So I kind of have like the whole crew, I guess we can, we can be a one, you know, a family crew. Talk about cheap team. labor. That's pretty good. Right. right? Sing for your supper, kid. Come on. Come <laughs> Please on. put yourself, put yourself through college. <laughs> and then, you know, I guess something that I'm always just amazed at is I don't know if it's a genetic thing where over these generations of, of kids being able to be so technical, like right away, but they also seem to have like, they can pick up a camera, they can find mm. the right angle. They're so effortlessly creative. I don't remember me and my friends being like that when we were kids. I, I don't know. Maybe I just hung out with the wrong crowd. <laughs> well, those, those times were like you had the big chunky camera, right? So you had to like you know, put the VHS tape in it you know, <laughs> if we had that ability. <laughs> now, you're also, for, for people who are wondering, like, this guy's voice is silky. Well, um, <laughs> yeah. you also podcast and you interview people on YouTube or are they the same thing? 
Yeah. So you know, Brave Maker, we have a YouTube channel, Brave Maker Org. And we do every week, uh, we have at least one, if not two conversations where we're talking to makers. We're hearing people's stories, how they got there, how they made their films. You know, we're talking to, I have a producer from Jada Pinkett Smith's Red Table Talk coming up this week, Lisa L. Wilson. Just really, you know, exciting people who are doing this work that we can learn from because we want to be, you know, we want to help educate. Uh, we want to give people opportunities who don't get to go to film school and are trying to figure it out. And so I just love, yeah, like having this live chat show. I have a, a great co-host named Christina Jackson, and she's just this wonderful actress as well and singer and model uh, who just happens to be in a wheelchair. And it's just a black woman who's also uh, in the LGBTQ community. So we're just like on polar opposite sides of the conversation. So we kind of come together and banter back and forth. And it's just, yeah, it's just so fun. I love it. It's really life-giving for me. And I get to meet all these great people. And sometimes, sometimes we find ways to collaborate. It's like, hey, you're a producer. I got this project. What do you think? You know, so that's the kind of stuff that I really enjoy. I ask you a question that's more local. So my yeah. my brother, um, who turns out to be a killer writer, that's a whole other podcast sometime. But has only started writing this this year and is just phenomenal. But anyway, he decided he was leaving San Francisco and he's moving to L.A. You know, and was feeling he's been in San Francisco for a number of years. Was starting to feel a little. I don't know, like this, like San Francisco had changed a little bit. Um, creatively, you know, I always found so much juice when I would visit San Francisco. Uh, as a as a San Francisco creator yourself, mm -hmm. what has the community been like? Has it changed for better or for worse? Where do you see it going? As a, I like that question a lot. And obviously I can only speak from my perspective uh, as one person, but I definitely, it is changing. I mean, it's so expensive to live here. It's really hard. Like artists are being driven out. Rents are incredibly high. I, you know, I would love to own a home someday. I'm embarrassed the fact that I, how high my rent is. Like I could live in the you know, middle of nowhere maybe and still do the same thing online now. I don't know. My wife and I are really thinking about that. But in regards to the creative community, I am so connected here. It's really this indie scene where people, you know, they roll up their sleeves and they, they make it happen. You know, we're not LA. We will never be LA. Um, I love LA so much. I get to go there, you know, pre-COVID, I was going there a lot, but up here, it's just a different, you know, you don't walk into a cafe and see seven people writing their scripts on, uh, on their laptops. They here, we have to really be intentional to get in groups. And there are some really great film groups and you have SF film here, uh, Cinequest you know, film festival, you know, from Oakland to Berkeley to SF to San Jose, there are these really great pockets of communities, but we're just, we, we struggle with finding out how to collaborate. Like how can we make more things happen? That's why I started Brave Maker too. Is like, I wanted to try to connect the dots more. I wanted to try to help people make their stuff because everyone, you know, kind of gives up at some point. They think if I don't go to LA, then I can't make it. Or some people do go to LA and they only give themselves two years, which like nobody can make it in two years. Come on. You know, it's like, you've got to really be in it for the long haul. So I think the people that I have been, you know, honored to connect with here are people who are working multiple jobs. I mean, I, I work three different jobs to make this happen and you have to sacrifice. And I think that creative community here really, really gets it. It's, it's really cool. Frameline up here too, the LGBTQ 
plus community. Um, there's just some really creative people making stuff and making it happen, but it's all happening on this indie level. Nobody's, you know, there's no free handouts, right? Everybody's right. making it work. And uh, it's inspiring. It's really inspiring. That's why I still stay here. What, do you think that Silicon Valley, I mean, I think probably one of the reasons why things got so expensive, right? Is yeah. It, it, it made rents raise. It created an even bigger homeless situ- situation. There's yeah. this, this disparity between the, the rich and the poor even more than it was. Um, mm-hmm. Silicon Valley, you know, you, you can put some blame on that. Do you think yep. that there's something that they could do to mm-hmm. contribute even more to the filmmaking community, to the creative community? Like, like do you see any, like, let's imagine... They're all listening right now. What do you think would be a good solution? I love email Tony at bravemaker.com because we have ideas and big dreams. No, really Pilar. Like, so the city that I live in, one of the things that they're trying to do, no, that they have already passed is that they are, they're putting an art tax on every new development, 1% art tax to give back to the creative community in our city. And so things like that, where I go, you know, arts are needed in our culture to cope right right now, especially sure. we are, we are, we need to escape. I mean, everybody's turning to, to, to their Netflix, so they're streaming to find a way to deal with the collective trauma we're experiencing as a country. So I think if Silicon Valley, and I, they know it in their heart of hearts, they do, but to be able to put funds aside and say, um, we want to give back to these organizations to empower these makers to make. I mean, I, but pre COVID, I was going into these big, you know, developments and, and startups and, you know, Fortune 500 companies and seeing the amazing color and the design in those buildings. They, they need artists. They employ artists. I would want them to be able to elevate those artists to one of the most important places, you know, in our culture, in their city. And one of the things that Brave Maker has been trying to do, we have not been successful yet because Silicon Valley people don't get investing in film. Uh, and some maybe maybe they get it. They just know there's not a lot of ROI return on their investment, so they're not. But I'm trying to pitch like, can we can we create a like a pitch tank, kind of like Shark Tank for filmmakers and artists here? Can we collectively ask all of you people who are making lots of money and, and sky you know rocketing our rents? Can you pitch into a fund that then we get a group of people who can help steward and manage that fund and portion it out to these makers in our own community in the San Francisco Bay Area? That's part of my dream. I want to create a film fund for people up here so we can tell these stories. And I want it to be funded by the Silicon Valley execs and the people at Oracle and Google and Facebook who are making these big salaries because I would love to participate in that. I think those are great ideas. Would you consider running for something? Because I just want to let you know you got my vote. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Our city has this arts commission. And I'm like, would that be a conflict of interest if I'm on the arts commission? And then I also need money from the arts commission. Mm, so I don't know. That is, that is a good point right there. It is. Yeah. But those are, those are really good concrete suggestions. I love the art tax. Thank that you. is terrific. Yes, we need that. And you're right. We are. I mean, it's so funny when people go, oh, I'm binging Netflix. Yes, you're watching art. You know, we don't think of it that way because it's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's commercial and it's on television, but these are writers and directors and actors. These are artists. That's right. (sighs) Pilar, I was going to just shout out to all the writers and artists out there making the TV that we love so much. 
I so quick short story. I grew up in this kind of quasi, you know, religious space for some time. And I had aspired to do this acting for so long. And I kind of got the message that Hollywood is Satan's playground. <laughs> Never go there. You will become a drug addict. You will sell out your body, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, and to be you know, honest, I was like, ah, I was freaked out. Like, really? What? It took me a while to, you know, recover therapy, counseling. Thank you to recover from those negative messages. Uh, but I remember when I started to wake up to, I mean, I don't know, this was like decades ago, but I started to wake up to the reality that, yeah, sure, there are people who want to be rich and famous, but most, most 90% of the people in this industry have worked hard to get there and they want to make a difference. They have a story to tell. And that like really did something in, in me as a person and my soul, if I could say that, like as a human being, it really started to wake me up to like when I watched Netflix, really have an appreciation for these storytellers that hash it out in these rooms and put their life, like, you know, they put their life in the writing room and they throw it on the table and they dissect it and they put it into these characters in this fictional world. And it impacts me and it's touching my kids. I mean, I'm having conversations with my 13 year old about these racial injustices because we're watching some, you know, some show on, on CW that's like, I could be easily judging it, but I go, no, underneath there, there's some really important stuff happening in this story. And I just really appreciate it. And that's why I want to be a part of this community because we are able to change the world and make people laugh and get yes. people to escape. And absolutely. it's good. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I was <laughs> just thinking as you were saying that I had uh, like one of the first conversations about sex education I ever had with my oldest child. Oh, they're going to love that I'm saying this. Was, <laughs> is, uh, was through Downton Abbey. So on, la la. on Downton Abbey, <laughs> one of the maids gets accidentally pregnant and, you know, is of course fired for being, you know, a harlot and all that so stuff. So scandalous. Yes, yes. And so I use that as a conversation about the fact that, you know, then, you know, we had birth control and access to birth control and why this is important for women and how yeah. it frees you and, you know, and all these things <laughs> and how her situation would have been different if she had access to birth control, you know, and my, my poor kid at the time is just looking at me like, wait, wait, what? I thought we were watching Mom, Downton Abbey. <laughs> just let me watch this period piece. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I know, I know, but yes, it can, it can provoke conversations. It's art. Agreed. <laughs> and, 100. and it's still the devil's den. Tony. That's right, the devil's den. It, it is, it is. <laughs> Tony, I can't thank you enough. I want to make sure that all eyes are pointed to the stuff that you make and the place to make stuff. So is it bravemaker.com? Is that, is that where they you should go for it. everything? You got it. You got it. Bravemaker.com is our website. You can find all our socials. Our socials are bravemaker.org on Instagram, Twitter, etc. And then my name, Tony Gabastione, every L Every vowel is said, but G-A-P-A-S-T-I-O-N-E. Find me on the socials. I'm very active. Love to connect with people. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you, Tony. I want to remind everybody that Tony's taking a class or two with me. And look, he's a great guy making stuff. So go to onthepage.tv and check out the classes. They're online. They're every month. There's something. Um, I also want to let people know that I am changing things a little bit as far as consulting goes. So for 20 years, I have been consulting on scripts, um, anybody's completed scripts. Um, now for the past three 
years, maybe a little bit more, I've been doing story to script as well, which is working with writers, breaking story, setting deadlines, and working with them page segments by page segments until they finish their script. And I found that this is such a a strong way to work that it is really turning out wonderful projects um, in shorter amount of time. And we're course correcting as we go. And I love the process and it's working for writers. So I am only going to be working with people through the story to script process. That said, um, uh, I want to make sure people understand that I can, you can always make payments with me. If you see a certain price on my website, we can always work it out where you're making payments over time so that you don't have to feel like, wait, only rich people can afford that. (laughs) So if you see that, I just want to let you know. And no, I will no longer be consulting on big fat things that have been completed. I want to work with you from scratch. So just so that you know that it's story to script when you go to on the page. And like I said, take a class with me. I'd love to work with you at any stage in your writing process. That's the end of my little commercial right there. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again to Tony. Capastioni, Capastion, I don't know. Oh, molto bene, Pilar. Yes, thank you so much to Tony. You have always been really a big support of On the Page. I know that over the years, you know, you've been writing and you've been listening, and it was a pleasure to see you in person, in class, and and to have you on the podcast. You were wonderful. Same. Thank you so much. Truly an honor. Yeah, take her classes. I have been a beneficiary of said classes. So thanks. And thanks to all of you for listening. Have a good writing week. 